You are listening to the brand new podcast, Rerooted, with your host, Mandy Bates. Thanks for tuning in. Still short somehow. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining me on the first of what I hope to be many episodes of the Rerooted podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Bates, and if you're wondering what this podcast is about because you didn't have a chance to listen to the trailer, you might be thinking it's a show about road trips gone awry taking a left because you couldn't go right, or ending up on a dirt road because the GPS malfunctioned. But instead, we're going to be talking about life after colon cancer, from symptoms to diagnosis, treatments, surgery, and keeping a positive mental attitude. All of these things have been a part of my colon cancer journey, and I'm hoping by sharing my story, as well as speaking with other survivors, healthcare professionals, family members, and friends, I can somehow help to remove the stigma surrounding this topic. Also, shed some much needed light on the fact that this is not a disease that only happens to people over 50. Chances are, you know someone who has been diagnosed or has undergone treatment for colon cancer in your lifetime. And if not, you do now. Colon cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States, and yet it is also one of the most easily detected and treated if caught early enough. In 2020, an estimated 104,610 new cases of colon and 43,340 cases of rectal cancer are expected to be diagnosed. Of that, an estimated 53,200 deaths from colorectal cancer are expected to occur. These numbers are frightening, especially because they are unnecessary. Early detection through colorectal screening helps to identify precancerous polyps that can easily be removed to prevent cancer from developing. The problem is, because this is a subject that most people would rather not talk about, symptoms are often ignored or downplayed until they become seriously problematic. And in those cases, just like mine, cancer seizes the opportunity and changes life forever. That's why I'm here, telling my story and hoping that if even just one person listening decides to be proactive about their health, I will have helped someone avoid the need to be rerouted. So why the title rerouted, you might ask? The actual dictionary definition of the word is, quote, to send someone or something by or along a different route. Not only did this apply to my life in general, but also to my body. Cancer forced me to go in a direction I never anticipated, without a roadmap. I needed to make decisions I never imagined having to make, and ultimately come to a place of acceptance of my current destination. At the age of 48, since our daughter Sierra was grown and living on her own, my husband Danny and I made the monumental decision to sell everything we owned and move from Connecticut to Vermont, knowing that it was where we were supposed to be. We both had good jobs, a home, friends, and family, but our hearts longed to be in the Green Mountain State. I was fortunate enough to find a job at the Community College of Vermont as an administrative assistant and went up on my own in November of 2016. I was scared and lonely, but knew it was only temporary, and as soon as the house sold, Danny and our fur baby Logan would join me in our new apartment. I remember vividly the month of December and my 49th birthday because it was my first night working alone and the first time I was away from my family unable to celebrate. I also remember that I was starting to experience an increase in bowel trouble. I thought it was probably just nerves, especially since my whole life had been plagued with either constipation or diarrhea almost incessantly. 
The problem was now there was pain and unfortunately leaking. I felt disgusting. You see, for the past 25 years, whenever I went to the doctor with stomach or bowel issues, I was told I needed to lose weight, drink water, and eat more fiber. Basically, if I wasn't fat, I wouldn't be having these issues. And because I had spent my whole life struggling with my weight, probably a topic for another episode, I just took their word for it because they were doctors and it, I was just a slob. Unfortunately, the problems persisted even after the house sold and Danny was finally a Vermonter too. I sought out a new doctor in the spring of 2017 and went in for a physical. I told him of my symptoms and he said the same things as my Connecticut doctors. Try to lose some weight, drink more water, eat more fiber. It really should have been a bumper sticker at this point. The only difference was this time I was told that since I was turning 50 in less than a year, I would be due for a colonoscopy and that would provide more information. But I shouldn't worry. So again, I left feeling like a gross human being who deserved this because I couldn't seem to just lose weight. I sat with that feeling for a little bit and then decided that it was time to get serious about my physical health. And with the encouragement of my sister Katie and my brother-in-law Rich, I decided to start training for my first half marathon. Even though I had never done more than a 5K, I had over 16 weeks to train and they gave me an excellent plan that I stuck to religiously. I still needed to go home every day at lunch to deal with my bowel issues, but I kept telling myself it would get better as I got in better shape from my training. Unfortunately, although I was losing weight and feeling strong, my colon and rectum did not get the memo. After a week of painful constipation, I took matters into my own hands and took the recommended dose of Miralax for a colonoscopy prep to try to clean myself out. Within 20 minutes, everything started moving and unrecognizable noises emanated from my stomach, but hardly anything came out. The next day, I went to work, but looked like I was nine months pregnant. I remember sitting at my computer typing, but when I looked up, it was all gibberish. I was cold, but sweating and felt really dizzy. When I went into my boss's office, she immediately said, I am taking you to the ER. Although I normally would, I did not argue. After checking me in and talking about my symptoms, they decided to do a contrast CAT scan, which meant drinking a lot of liquid and then having an injection before having pictures of my abdomen and pelvis taken. I called Danny and told him not to worry, and I would call him to pick me up when I was done. Fast forward about four hours later, and the good-looking ER doc came in to talk to me. He could tell I was mortified to be discussing my butt with a stranger and immediately reassured me that we needed to get past that because it was important to be open and honest. It was actually the first time I ever believed a doctor really cared about what I had to say and how difficult it was to do so. Then he said what I feared most. There was something on my scan, but they couldn't tell what it was, so I needed to have a colonoscopy as soon as possible. I called my doctor the next day and set it up. Then I called my aunt and asked if she would come with me because she was retired and this way Danny wouldn't have to miss work. I continued my half marathon training without missing a beat. I was trying not to think about the C word and figured if I just kept getting more physically fit, everything would be okay. The day of the colonoscopy came and when it was over, the doctor came in with pictures of a mass in my rectum. He didn't use the C word at this point, but silently my aunt and I both knew. He said they were going to send it for a biopsy and would be in touch. About a week later, 
I received a call from a nurse telling me that I had appointments scheduled with an oncologist, a radiation oncologist, and a chemotherapy team. I literally said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I hadn't even been given a diagnosis yet, and they were planning my treatment. I asked her politely to please cancel all of those appointments and have the doctor call me. In hindsight, I know that they were probably concerned and just wanted to get things started right away. The only problem, again, was that I, as a whole person, was not being considered. How could they assume what I wanted to do without knowing what it was I had to do something about? The doctor did call and over the phone told me it was rectal cancer, but could not stage it at that time. I made an appointment to see him in person to discuss what I wanted to do. In my mind, I wanted no part of radiation or chemotherapy. I just wanted them to cut it out and be done with it. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Now, before I continue with my story, I want to make it perfectly clear that this is what I chose to do. I'm not saying it's the right way or the only way, but it is what worked with, with and for me physically, mentally, and spiritually. I wanted to be as holistic as possible in my treatment and researched diets and supplements to the point of overwhelm. A coworker introduced me to a friend who was going to school to be a health coach, and she needed someone to volunteer as part of her education as a client. She had also overcome cancer. For her, it was breast cancer. We clicked right away because I was already seriously exercising regularly. She helped me concentrate on eating cleaner. She gave me cookbooks and recipes. We met for counseling sessions, and she also gave me the name of an amazing naturopathic doctor who specialized in helping people dealing with cancer. Dr. Richard Malik would soon become my biggest ally. He listened when I told him I did not want to do chemotherapy, but was also honest with the topic of radiation prior to surgery. He told me that it was really important to try and shrink the tumor before surgery as much as possible for the best outcome. In addition, he did complete and thorough blood work, started me on a supplement regimen, and met with me every couple of weeks to see how I was holding up mentally. For the first time in my life, I found a doctor who treated me like a human being with layers and history, not just an overweight, unhealthy woman. Danny liked him too and came to most of my appointments with me. After establishing my relationship with Dr. Malik, I met with another wonderful doctor at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Hospital named Matthew Wilson. He was a colorectal surgeon who was young enough to be my son, which certainly didn't make our first visit very comfortable. I wasn't really surprised that I had to bend over the end of an examining table, but I did say to him, you're not even going to buy me a drink first? And that established the kind of rapport we would have as we got to know each other over the three months prior to my surgery. I told him my concerns about radiation, and he explained his rationale for its necessity. I also told him I was not planning to do chemotherapy, to which he was a little aggressive, but eventually conceded when it was apparent that I was not changing my mind. I ran my half marathon on September 29th, and it was the best thing I could have done for my headspace before starting radiation in November. I also took a trip to Florida to celebrate my upcoming 50th birthday with my best friend who was celebrating hers too. I swam with dolphins, drank wine on the beach, and for 72 hours did not even think about what was going to happen. Radiation was relatively smooth, and I only had one weekend halfway through where it felt like I had literally sat right on the sun. I was also manually applying CBD salve with frankincense directly to the tumor. That's right, 
I literally stuck my gloved finger up my butt twice a day, every day, until my surgery in February. Again, there is no longer anything that could possibly embarrass me about this topic, so sharing that with all of you is probably harder to hear than it is for me to say. The cool thing is, Dr. Wilson commented that the tumor shrunk more than they had expected, and even though there is no clinical proof, I believe the CBD had something to do with it. He also said that radiation had eliminated all but one lymph node and there was no evidence of cancer in it. He was concerned because they normally like to test multiple lymph nodes, but I told him it was okay because you only need one winning lottery ticket. He gave me his usual responsive smile slash smirk, and that was that. My last visit with Dr. Wilson before my surgery also involved meeting with the ostomy team. Although some people who have colon cancer surgery can have what's called a reversible colostomy, I was not one of those lucky people. Because my tumor was so low in the rectum, it needed to be removed and everything had to come out. So that meant as of the morning of February 10th, 2018, my butt cheeks were going to be sewn together and my plumbing would be rerouted to the left side of my stomach with bagness, as I affectionately referred to the impending colostomy pouch. The ostomy nurses were phenomenal. They showed me everything, had me try on an actual pouch to see what it would feel like, and answered every question I had, no matter how out there it seemed. I was as ready as I could be for the surgery. At that point, I just wanted to move on with my life. We got to the hospital at 9 a.m., and my best friend was there to keep Dan company and play messenger to the family via text. Seven hours later, I was in recovery. They tell me I was talking about going for a run in between asking for water when I was coming to, which still makes me smile to this day. If only my junior high gym teachers who called me fat and lazy could hear that, I wonder what they would say. Three, day, three days later, I was home in my own bed, settling in for nine to 12 weeks of recovery. During that time, I had to become intimately acquainted with ostomy life. Visiting nurses would come every day and take care of changing it for me, so I was still somewhat detached from the process. It wasn't until a Sunday morning when I attempted to let some gas out of the bag by, quote, burping it, that I learned how to do everything on my own. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, never trust a fart. Well, with an ostomy pouch, you never trust a burp. <laughs> I hobbled to the bathroom, and over the course of a half hour, I managed to clean myself up and replace bagness like a pro. I could have called the nurse to come over, but I figured it was like learning to swim. I had to jump in sometime. When the nurse came the next day, she was impressed with my attitude and that I was choosing to be positive. Honestly, how could I be anything but positive? After all, I was on the right side of the dirt, wasn't I? Two months passed and I was slowly getting back to normal. I was super weak and the thought of running was non-existent. I was lucky I could walk for more than a block, but I was ready to get back to work. My job at the college was waiting for me, and I missed everyone so much. They allowed me to start with as little hours as I could to work back up to full-time. I'm also a massage therapist part-time, so it took a little longer to get back to that gig. I trained for a second half marathon beginning in the summer after my surgery, and even though it took me longer and the weather was less than stellar on race day, it was the greatest feeling to cross that finish line. In my mind, it meant that I had done exactly what I set out to do, face my cancer diagnosis with positivity and strength and not let it get the better of me. 
My life may have been rerouted, but I was going to enjoy whatever and wherever the road wanted to take me. Fast forward to my 18-month checkup in July of 2019, and all of a sudden I was feeling nervous. Mentally, I was scattered but didn't know why. It wasn't until the actual meeting with the doctor that I realized I was scared. Scared it was going to come back because I had slacked off on my running and wasn't always eating clean. When he said the words, everything looks good, I cried tears of relief. I realized in that moment that every checkup was going to allow a little angst to creep in. And it was okay to be a little nervous, but I was not going to give in to full-blown fear. That would serve no purpose. In my mind, if I am alive today, that is all that matters and all that I have control over. Heading into the fall of 2019, I was back to both of my jobs and maintaining a 4.0 as I began my fourth semester toward my bachelor's degree in alternative health and wellness. I was taking advantage of every opportunity I could to live life to the fullest, but I still wondered what I could do to turn my journey into something of purpose. And then it happened. A massage client told me about a woman who had been diagnosed at age 23 with colon cancer and had written a book. I took the name and went home to order it on Amazon. Now, I don't believe in coincidence, so this is where it gets good. This woman, Molly McMaster Morgaslepoff, was at a book signing event the very next day less than an hour from my house. Needless to say, plans for a lazy Sunday quickly changed and Danny took me to meet her. Molly is amazing. She used her experience and passion to create awareness about colon cancer to really make people sit up and take notice. From her rollerblading to Colorado from New York to creating the colossal colon and ultimately writing her book, One Drop of Rain, she refused to let cancer define her and instead it fueled her. We only got to visit for a few minutes, long enough for me to tell her my story, which she said angered her to hear, but she was glad I was okay. I read her book in two days and was in complete shock. When I finished her book, I realized that I had probably been misdiagnosed for over 10 years, maybe even 20. There was some anger, but not for very long because that was wasted energy and wasn't going to change things anyway. Instead, it has led me here to this very moment, telling my story to whoever wants to listen in the hopes that it will start more conversations and let people know that it's okay to talk about this. Everybody poops. Everybody farts. They are normal bodily functions. It's when these functions are not normal that you need to be comfortable enough to talk about it and strong enough to advocate for yourself if a doctor is dismissing you. I learned that lesson the hard way, but I am more passionate than ever to keep others from having to. If you stayed with me this long, thank you for listening. This was the Reader's Digest version of the last three years, and there are many more stories to share with you on future episodes. I'm beyond excited to see where this all will lead and to talk with some amazing people along the way. I want to also take a moment before we say goodbye to send out a very heartfelt thank you to a talented, kind, and generous friend who helped make starting this podcast that much more exciting. Lee Sylvester is a musician from Connecticut that I am lucky enough to call a friend. I have seen him perform and many times his talent was just off the charts. Last year, he released an EP with three amazing songs, one of which is now the theme song you are hearing for this show. I reached out to Lee, telling him I wanted to use his music but knew nothing of rights and fees. His response was to not worry about it and that I should consider it a donation to the cause. 
I am humbled and grateful for his gesture of kindness. Please do me a favor and check him out on Spotify or iTunes. The song I am using is called No Looking Back Now, and the other two are equally as awesome. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, remember, life doesn't always take us where we think we're supposed to go, but we always end up where we're supposed to be. Now